Hey, deserving listeners. Today's episode is a, an interview that I actually had on another podcast called Unpopular Culture with Michael Drain, who is a fellow counselor. Michael from the podcast Unpopular Culture called me up and said, hey, let's collaborate on a podcast and let's talk about mob mentality or groupthink. And it gave me an opportunity to do a half deep dive on the topic and and it also gave me an opportunity to talk with Michael from, again, the podcast Unpopular Culture. And it was a good conversation. I liked it. And so let's just go to that again. Michael Drain from Unpopular Culture. Okay. Hey, Kirk. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm good. So just for the benefit of uh, everybody being on the same page, what is groupthink? Groupthink or mob mentality or monkey see, monkey do or... <laughs> or sheeple, <laughs> like a good sort of general definition of, of groupthink or herd mentality would be the way that a crowd of people influences individual behavior. The way when you put a bunch of people together that have similar tendencies or wishes or something that they would commit an act as a group, but they would never do it individually. So right there, you find that those are all kind of different takes on the definition. But I also find that when people are talking about examples, that it's often in a judgmental stance. It's easy to say that, you know, Nazi Germany was one big example of groupthink. What about the United States, the cultural movement to legalize gay marriage and to stop oppressing uh, LGBTQIA people. I don't know how many people would say that that's herd mentality, but I could see how you might label it as groupthink. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. You're right. I mean, just the name mob mentality or herd mentality, you know, you think of a wild mob gone a ruckus and you don't think about people coming together for good things, which happens all the time as well. So that, I think that's a solid point. I, I think of mob mentality or groupthink, and you're right, it does have a thousand different names. People as a group are a different entity than an individual person. I've been on like a movie quote kick lately, uh, Men in Black. There's a part where uh, Tommy Lee Jones says, you know, a person is smart, but people are dumb, panicking animals, and you know it. It, it might be better to understand what it is by looking at like what it does. People think as one almost collective brain. I would argue that that collective brain is often not as uh, thoughtful or intelligent. There's mechanics within a group that lend itself to kind of closing in from any outside opinion or bias and, and gelling together to keep their mob mentality intact. In the 20th century, we had a lot of examples of mob mentality gone wrong to the point of world wars and genocide. You are doing an episode on the Stanford prison experiment. I just did one. and Often that's brought up in terms of groupthink. The guards as a group acted in ways they wouldn't have under normal circumstances in that they were sadistic to the prisoners. And so different theorists like Freud, he saw World War I occur, of course, saw World War II occur in the Nazis and fled. So, you know, Klein and all these other people, they all fled. And so Freud was very concerned with this. And he thought that 
that when you're in a large crowd, your superego is replaced by the crowd's mandate for you. So the superego, of course, being Freud saw that as the conscience, the, the good angel on your shoulder. I've heard it described. Yes, exactly. Or the parent that you've internalized, the person in your head that says, don't smack that person in the face. It's also society to some extent. So it's a good angel in some ways, but it's also internalized parental rules and, and societal rules, you know, not to run down the street naked or, you know, masturbate on the bus or something, you know, those are all things that the superego would say, don't do. Oh, know? don't, oh, don't do those things. Okay. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. oh, okay. I, I don't know. I don't know what sort of societal messages you've been internalizing. But. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's a Seattle thing. <laughs> you, you mentioned another theory put forth by McDougall, who talked about when we are in groups, it seems as though we are reduced to our most simplistic emotional expression, which I, I find to be extremely interesting observation, right? That when you're by yourself, or with a couple people, you might have, you know, some complex, nuanced emotions. But when you're in a mob, <laughs> then you get reduced to just like anger and sadness and joy and 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 everyone feels it at the same time. I, I find that to be just fascinating because I've absolutely experienced that myself. Oh, yeah, me too. And even knowing these principles and even being pretty familiar with them, you can still fall into this pattern just by your human nature alone. You know, you almost have to stop yourself and see the moment. It's, it's uh, a group expresses very basic, primitive emotions. And most of the time they're thought of as bad, you know, Nazi Germany being the classic example. But a lot of the times it's not. A lot of times people come together for, you know, the Revolutionary War comes to mind, signing the Constitution. They were all expressing a very basic primitive emotion. It just happened to have a good turnout. There's not a lot of critical thinking going on. It's almost like when you're in a group, the group brain almost is a less evolved version of the human brain, almost like a caveman, just expressing basic extreme emotions. You know, you can imagine being on the African savanna in the Pleistocene. When the tribe, when your group decides that you've got to run, for instance, suddenly everyone just gets super tense and starts running. Well, if you are an independent thinker, when that other tribe comes in to kill everyone or that group of tigers or whatever comes in to kill you, you're dead, right? So it, it makes sense that evolution would favor those who forego their own evaluation because it's like, well, I don't see any danger. Why? You know, I just see a bunch of people who I consider to be my kin running. I think I'll go take a look at what it is that they're running. You know, you can imagine those people would get weeded out of the population and that a mechanism of when you see the crowd and the herd going, then you go too. Yeah, no, <laughs> no thinking. You just do it. Yeah, just react, you know, and this is true for other mammals as well. It's not like humans, obviously, are the only ones that do this. But but again, that's all speculation because we don't have a time machine. We can't go back in time. But it, I don't know. It makes coherent sense to me. It sure makes sense to me. I'm, as you're talking, what I'm thinking about is social conformity, the stirrings, the, the primer of herd mentality. And that's something that we all experience more often than even mob mentality is the pressure to conform and be like those around us. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And as Americans, we consider this abhorrent to our self-esteem and identity that we would follow the crowd. But it doesn't take a genius to just look around and see the massive amount of conformity that occurs for everyone. We're not individuals. We're part of a system. And that's our natural state is concerned with other people, concerned with relationships, affected by other people. And our decisions are almost, you know, 100% based on how other people will receive that decision, even though, again, we would like to think of ourselves as extremely independent. And it says a lot about the nature of groupthink. Groupthink was something that sort of worked for us back in the day as a species. And now it's something that's seen as mindless and bad in general. Right. So how do we use mobs for, for good is really the question that I would say, because, you know, the, often a question is like, well, how do we stop mobs? You know, how do we stop mobs? Will always the question is, is how, how can we be thoughtful about encouraging good mobs when you're at a concert? The energy in the room is a mob, the music, the way people are dancing. That's a fun experience. You, no one would say we should eliminate that cultural expression and that that experience for people well i'm I'm just going to take a guess it seems to me that it all starts with education knowing to be aware that you're in a mob that awareness is the step one we do an episode on the bystander effect the tendency for people to stand by and watch if somebody's in a situation and the more people that are around the less likely you are to get help and there's decades of research on this and the key to diffusing the bystander effect is to re-individualize a person. So if you've dropped to the ground in a restaurant and your significant other is choking and you're looking around for help, calling to the crowd for help, you're calling to the crowd as a single unit and people stand there dumbfounded and that diffusion of responsibility takes place. Everybody's sort of looking to the person next to them to do something. So you re-individualize a person. They teach you that in like CPR training with the dummy. You know, you shake the dummy and you say, are you okay? And the, the very next thing you do is say, you right there in the red shirt, go call 911. And by doing that, you've taken that person out of the group and re-individualize them as a person. And that way you can break the crowd back into individuals again. That's my best stab at yeah. it. Yeah. It's, you know, easier said than done sometimes, right? Like the mob that attacked Laura Logan. She was a news correspondent. She was walking through a crowd in this square where all these people were celebrating the ousting of their current president. For some unknown reason, these people started to assault her, started to kind of push her around. And a whole bunch of men just descended on her for a half an hour men were you know ripping at her clothes sexually assaulting her the other news crew were trying to get to her and every and the mob was pushing them away and there were people trying to stop this mob they were what are you doing <laughs> stop this and and it it just you know for whatever reason just fed on itself until another egyptian woman saw this happen and covered Laura Logan with her body to stop the men from doing this. And then a bunch of other 
men came over and protected Laura Logan. So a different mob was formed that, that came over to help her. So one mob formed to sexually assault her and another mob formed actually to help her. Wow. Yeah. What a terrifying, traumatizing experience that would have been. I, I kind of, the closest thing I can come to personally seeing myself in that situation is being in a concert, like you had said earlier. When you're around that many people, watch, if you're paying attention, you can feel the energy of the room. It, you know, it's, it's very palatable. And when it turns and everybody turns angry, I think you feel that, that change in emotion. And to be in the middle of that and to have all that targeted on you. And um, when you think of the pressure of social conformity to begin with, wow, that's, that's a crazy story. I actually hadn't heard of that one. Yeah, it's pretty awful. Like riding after a, a sport event. You know, some people will say, oh, well, it's, you know, a few bad apples. So is it a few bad apples? Is it uh, the fervor of the crowd? Do people egg each other on? Is it the lack of individuality? Is it that deep down we all want to burn cars and, and sexually assault people? But, but when we're by ourselves, we wouldn't do that. But the crowd sort of gives us this excuse. I mean, have you ever done anything bad in a mob that later on you would have you said whoa why did i do that nothing i would confess to Kirk. <laughs> but uh <laughs> what about how about black friday that comes to mind we're heading towards it rapidly that seems to be a commercialism approved annual thing that people do i was looking at youtube videos of a black friday in 2013 people standing outside just wrapped around the building i mean a horde of people and then the it cuts inside to the store, and right away you see right in front of the register, I'm not kidding, two soccer moms beating each other over a, a widescreen television, Right. you know? Right. And, and that, that's exactly what you're talking about. You know, those, those two people would not, in almost any other situation, you know, they're just going around the, with their life, and you would never know that later that night they're going to go pummel somebody with their purse. And that group polarization that happens that mindlessness that happens. In that same video, there was actually a, uh, a guy that was driving in his car with a, a megaphone out the window and driving by the line saying, you're all sheep, you're all commercialism, you know, <laughs> kind of like uh, uh, calling them out. I had kind of had the thought of like, would I rather be the guy with the megaphone or the person standing in the line? Because you're kind of an asshole if you're a guy with the megaphone, but you also kind of have a point, you know? Yeah, if, you're, if you have two soccer moms without a crowd like they're they're the only customers in the store and they both reach for the flat screen tv that's on sale and there's only one left there's a very low likelihood that it will come to blows no video goes viral of black friday going well <laughs> going smoothly <Right>. yeah <laughs> so so that's another thing to consider you know it, i wonder if a very small percentage of Black Friday events result in the kind of things we see on YouTube. The examples that I can think of really are related to concerts. You end up doing things in the crowd that you would never do under other circumstances. You know, you, you push your way past people and you, you get aggressive to, to establish your spot, at, you know, in front. And it's crazy how natural it feels in the moment. You don't really think twice about it when you're shoving people to the side. Your behavior, I know if you were looking at that from the outside in, you might be thinking, what's my problem? I'm not even, I'm being kind of a jerk. I would never even act like that. 
but in the moment, it feels so natural. It's a, a hardwired thing inside of us to just turn into some Neanderthal, yeah. <laughs> you know, just, just expressing emotions, me want concert. Right. Exactly. The sense of invulnerability that happens when you're in a mob in a group, the Black Friday thing, you feel a certain sense of protection from the group that you're in because you're looking to the left and to the right and all these people, hey, they're with it too. So yeah, let's do this. Right. You know? Right. You're, you are off the hook to some extent. It's like, well, if the mob is doing this, then I, I can't get in trouble for it. The uh, March on Washington, I think it was called, that you could consider to be a mob. Uh, they didn't do, they were peaceful. It is, uh, I think, something, again, in the broader definition, we can use for good. Yeah, it's, it's also extremely current and relevant, this topic, in a lot of ways. I mean, right now we have a big swell of racial tension across the country. What my father called the other day, uh, it's the Trump riots and uh, backlash of uh, minorities. And oh, have you seen the video about the third grade classroom and they're all chanting, build the wall, build the wall? No, I've been avoiding such things because it depresses me. Yeah, it's very disturbing. And then on the other side, I heard this story, although I have not confirmed it, about a group of African-American males that beat up this older man who was a, supposedly a Trump supporter. And so you have this kind of swell across the country. And in that way, I think this is a very relevant topic. Being aware of it and uh, kind of own it would be the first step I can think of to getting any kind of control over. Yeah, it's scary when we think about, especially when we feel justified by a number of other people. You know, there are people on the right who feel justified. I mean, those kids saying build the wall, they're not saying that because they believe them to be wrong. They think they're right. And the reason why they think they're right is because there's an ideology that is extremely strong and prevalent and echo chamber like that supports that idea. And so they're they're thinking they're being heroes. They don't think they're the villains. And on the left, you have the exact same thing. Uh, from their point of view, they are the heroes. They're the people who are at the forefront of a justifiable spear attacking something that's evil. But people on the right look at Trump's th these you know Trump riots as ridiculous crybaby liberals who don't know what's going on. Right. And, and and so uh, we, as you say, if we can use them for good and use and be aware of these elements, then we can use them. I, I am 100 percent sure that we will not be able to achieve that in our society. <laughs> uh, the there are so many things that I would like our society to recognize. This is one of them. I doubt that our society will since they don't recognize several other things about us. <laughs> well, maybe we can do our part. Maybe it'll change somebody's mind or educate somebody. It's all relative. Everybody's the protagonist in their own life story and nobody's going around thinking that they're the bad guy. So automatically you're going to go into a situation like this with a bias that you're right and the other side is wrong. Try to take a breath if you see this kind of behavior happening on your side or somebody else's side, to take a breath and try to uh, be aware and know how quickly a mob can spiral out of control. You know, as an individual, you only have so much power. But then again, all the individuals are 
forming a mob that are feeding off of each other. So you can do your part. I think that would be my takeaway is to simply be aware and simply try to do your part to diffuse that, that diffusion of responsibility. Try to own your, your piece of that and make good decisions based on that. And it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to fight uh, a mob and it's hard to fight human nature. Yeah. Overall, that's wonderful advice. We just have to be very contemplative about this whole context because there are some people and many of them uh, listeners to my podcast that would say, look, we need to send a message that it's not okay to oppress groups of people. It's not okay to be xenophobic. It's not okay to be misogynistic. And if they're not going to listen, then we're going to make them listen. And right. we, we are going to cause a, a ruckus and we are going to get in their face and we are going to scream and we are going to potentially break things. And we're and if the cops are going to stop us from, you know, our, having our rights to protest and we're going to we're going to attack them in the same way that they're attacking us. It's that important. Yeah, I get I get that. I, I And, you know, back to the Revolutionary War thing. You're totally right. I mean, think about it. You know, if you were back in the 1770s and you were watching a bunch of rebels fight the Redcoats, you got one guy standing there saying, oh, these these damn rebels, you know, why can't they just get in the line? The neighbor right next door is rooting them on. And it's very difficult to know what side of history you're going to land on yeah. when you're in the moment, when it's all happening. And then the other thought I had was maybe the answer is to infuse some goal-directed behavior, some infrastructure for the mob or the group. The mob mobs has, has such a bad connotation to it, but like the um, people protesting right now against the Trump election, for example, it seems to me that those groups right now are rioting without any real direction to it. They're expressing their discontent, which is great. I totally support that, but um, wouldn't it be better if they were able to have a, an agenda and a plan? And wouldn't that organization help to give the mob or the group a smarter brain, <laughs> sort of? Yeah, no, I, I agree, really, for both sides, if we're just going to be dichotomous between right and left. For instance, I brought up the Tea Party, the modern Tea Party, sometimes lacks leadership um, and will they'll get together they'll march on washington and it's unclear what the purpose is you know and for people on the left they look at the tea partiers and they just see a bunch of racists who want to make america great again and to people on the right they look at trump supporters and just see right. a bunch of crybabies you know who are uh entitled and out of touch and uh they want handouts or, you know, whatever they're saying about those groups. And, and to my knowledge, there's no at least coverage of the leaders because these groups often don't really have leaders. And uh, I've often thought, wouldn't it be nice if some, a leader just emerged so we could, so we could have dialogue with someone who speaks for this group. But that gets hairy too, because what if a third of the group, doesn't agree with that leader. For instance, when it comes to the terrorists in the Middle East, especially after 9-11, I 
really wanted one of them to emerge as a leader we could dialogue with and say, okay, what is it you want exactly? Because if let's talk like, so that we can put an end to this. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, when, when it's just a mob, when it's just a group of people, it, it from the outside, it, it just feels so much less um, manageable. Or something. Yeah. Some of these are pieces to a bigger answer or a solution. I think leadership makes perfect sense to me. At the same time, the leader is not always good. The Nazi Germany example comes to mind, and that was a mob. Jonestown, have you ever heard of the Jonestown massacre, The Jim Jones? That's another example of how a leader can lead their sheep to slaughter. Yeah, I, I love, not love, but am highly intrigued by the Jim Jones story, Jonestown, because there it's so complex when, when i was growing up i remember hearing about it as you just had this cult leader who forced all of it you know forced all of his parishioners to kill themselves with by drinking the kool-aid but when you look at this story more closely it's it seemingly many of the people who committed suicide that day did so absolutely willingly they they weren't being forced to do that it, it's a little questionable because there were elements that Jim Jones sort of engineered to make everyone sort of afraid. But but it seems possible to me that they they did that out of groupthink. They individually would it would never have killed themselves that day, but because everyone else was, they they did it. Right. Actually, we have very similar interests. You and I. I did an episode on Jim Jones. We played some audio, which was disturbing. <laughs> there was a lady that spoke up on the day that they were about to drink the cyanide, and he's conducting a sermon, talking people into it. They basically thought that the United States was going to kick in the door any second and slaughter all their kids. And he was saying, you know, we better not be alive when the U.S. comes looking for us because they're going to do horrible things to our babies, and we don't want our kids to have to suffer through that. And so the lady speaks up, and he gives the illusion of giving a choice. He he hands the microphone. Does anybody else want to speak? And one lady takes the microphone and says, what if we just get out of here? And he quickly beats her down using all the other people in the group. He doesn't do it himself. You know, he says, okay, you know, of course you can talk. Of course I want to hear your thoughts. And he lets everybody else pressure her and shut up. You know, we already made this decision and who are you to speak against it? And also not to mention there were armed people Around the group, the more militant wing of Jonestown People's Temple Society facing guns at the people as they were doing it. So those who didn't do it willingly were heavily coerced, let's say. So there were a lot of elements at play there. Jones served as something called a mind guard in sociology for, for groupthink. A mind guard is a person that plays the role of filtering information to the group. Anything from the outside that they don't want the group to know because it might break the group up, it might change the group's opinion. So Jones would literally get on a PA and broadcast what he called the news. He would pretend to report news from back home. And it would always, of course, be horrible. The U.S. is in flames. Oh, man, we're so lucky to be away from there and reinforcing. It's good that they're there and it's good that they're a group and everybody else is bad. And all the information came through him and it shielded the group from knowing anything different. Jones did start off as sort of a good guy. It occurs to me that I think Hitler did too. Hitler started off as sort of a reform 
candidate that was going to prop Germany back up after its great fall and its depression. And people rallied behind him as somebody who was going to bring real change. And well, <laughs> as I'm saying all these political phrases, I'm getting a little disturbed. But at the correlation between then and the rhetoric that we can hear now, um, that psychopathy that you mentioned, psychopath or somebody who is antisocial, they have a real ability to get under your skin and manipulate you because they're studying, they're watching all the time. They become very good at manipulation and that trait lends itself well. And uh, the Jim Jones example, also in Adolf Hitler's example, you know, very charismatic. They know just what you want to hear. They know just how to bring you all together. And then once they have you, there seems to be a threshold or a tipping point there where things start to go horribly awry <laughs> in those scenarios. Yeah. I wonder if mobs will not have the same overall negative effects. I can't imagine another Jim Jones happening. People can look stuff up on the internet. Right, right. Find out, you know, I, you wonder if Jim Jones people, if they had the internet, for instance, down in wherever they were in South America and could have like tweeted to other Americans to find out, oh, the U.S. government isn't coming here to kill us. They're actually worried about us. I, I wonder if those kinds of things might help. Having said that, there's a, there's a dark side to the force in that the internet can make mob mentality easier to manipulate. There's mobs on the internet every day. Every day there's a mob of, there's several mobs on the internet doing a lot of mob-like things. Like the whole blue dress versus yellow dress thing. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. That was a total mob. I mean, why was everyone so freaking concerned about the color of this dumb dress? There's internet mobs that attack me for being, uh, they'll call me a mangina, and they'll, they'll st because I claim that I'm a feminist and, and the internet might have a dark side to it. And I, I don't know. I guess we'll just have to see if our society goes down the tubes or not. The 21st century, man, the anonymity that being online provides you. I bet that person wouldn't have the guts to come up and say that to your face. But you get to get behind a computer and text whatever you want. And in many cases, nobody even knows who you are. You're consequence free. And you see a lot of herd mentality happening in a very fluid motion, like the dress example you said, how easily we polarize over nothing. And yet we dissented so quickly. <laughs> it's terrifying. And, and psychology doesn't have a very good understanding yet about this digital influence on our behavior. It'll be very intriguing to see where it goes. Well, indeed. not to invoke that rule that as soon as you bring up Hitler, you've lost a political argument. But just to reflect what other people are saying on the Internet, which is we now have a president, Trump, elect, who is hiring, to some extent, as his right-hand man, a Goebbels-like character in... Steve Bannon, yeah. If anyone, as you, as you say, it's like, you know, I don't think we know well enough how mobs work. I don't think psychology knows. Well, there is a group that absolutely knows how this works, or at least are the perhaps best experts. And those are media people, people who have been 
you know, on the front lines of, of getting clicks and every day they're basically conducting psychological research on our society. And it's not just like individual articles. It's like, how do you create a series of articles or even an ideology? How do you, how do you create an ideology among a group of people that compels them to believe something that, and compels them to act and compels them to vote. And this guy knows that. I don't know. It's in some ways it's terrifying. In other ways, I, I just think it's par for the course. Yeah. It's uh, at this point, you just get to sit back and watch and see what happens. And that's all you can do. You, you, you bring up a good point. Uh, media are experts on the front lines at how to stoke the flames of a group, how to target them, to get them to believe certain things. Facebook is currently under attack right now for targeted posts and ads that that lend themselves to one side of an agenda. I think the accusation is that they're posting things that are very anti-Trump, very pro, like they'll diminish the All Lives Matter versus Black Lives Matter movement, for example. They'll show more videos of cops committing injustices of various kinds and less videos of the opposite sort of a propaganda channel facebook's huge facebook's something that everybody has and they check two thousand times a day and this information's being pumped into you by these special interests i don't know what else to call them and these big players that know exactly how to manipulate the crowd and get them to think things just by giving them information that a lot of people just take on face value that's a lot of the problem too people don't bother to check the sources and say, well, is that true? Or am I just going to blindly believe that and fall in line and get pissed off at the rest of the yep. people? What I will wish for is one media outlet that is quote unquote, not propaganda <laughs> as if that could exist. But I, I don't trust anybody anymore. I don't, I don't trust any media. I don't even trust myself in terms of what I think anymore. I, I, I just I see the the results of propaganda and groupthink, and I just and I look at myself and I just assume I'm participating in a massive amount of that, and so I I, I just don't even know what to think anymore. Yeah, I'm I'm baffled myself. Well, on that happy note, let's wrap this up. What do you say, Michael? Sure, absolutely. Um, I had to ask you a question uh, about your podcast because I've been listening. I'm a steadily growing fan. I'm a big fan, actually. You release episodes very frequently. And I was wondering, we're a once a week show. Well, actually, we're now twice a week. But but you're you're just constant releasing content. You are a podcast machine. And um, is there any reasoning behind that? Do you just love it? or? Well, it, there's this craziness in me that I if I had my way, I would make... 15 episodes a week <laughs> because there's so many avenues like this avenue we went down. It's just, it's so fascinating to, to do a, you know, a short deep dive on this and then to talk with you about it and to contemplate it. And now after talking with you, I, I have like a much more developed gestalt around herd mentality than I did when you first brought up that that we would talk about this i love that process it, at the end of the week i will have done so many of these deep dives <laughs> that it basically means that i have several episodes per week well yeah thanks for answering that i was just i was just curious i really enjoy your show keep up the good work uh i'll be tuning in and uh i hope to do this again with you soon 
All right. That was my talk with Michael Drain from Unpopular Culture. Check out their podcast if you want. Also, please become a patron if you haven't already. All the cool kids are becoming patrons these days. Also, tell a friend or a colleague about the podcast. Spread the word. Word of mouth is a big deal. Also, rate us on iTunes. And if you do so, send me an email and we'll get you some swag in the mail. Currently, it's stickers, these awesome round stickers with Birdo and my mugs on it. <laughs> also, remember that uh, $20 patrons get mugs if you live in the United States. Also, remember that if you want to do Loot Crate, use the promo code PSYCHOLOGY. And also join the new Facebook fan group, which is run by famous patron Lyndon. It's a fun Facebook page just for fans. Okay, see ya. Take care of yourself because you deserve it. You know you do. Mm-hmm.